Virtual reality and augmented reality have hit the mainstream and are changing the way that we experience things. But can you guess where the industry is headed? Today on Spark Talks, we're tackling this idea along with many other, sometimes surprising, uses of VR and AR. I'm joined today by a couple of people with deep insights on the subject. First up, we have Rostin Murphy, VR engineer at Striver Labs, which is the world leader in using virtual reality to train individuals and improve performance. How's it going, Rostin? Hey, uh, I'm good. We also have Toby Trevarthan, Chief Narrative Officer at Spark, who's always thinking ahead about how we will communicate and experience things. Hey, good to be here today, thanks. I'm Vanessa Zucker, Spark's Marketing Manager and your host. Make sure to tweet us at SparkPR to join the conversation and ask your VR and AR questions. First, before we get into this, can you please give me a very short background on what your relationship is with VR, Rustin? I got into VR a couple years ago. I was doing data visualization at IBM and I had a little bit of downtime and somehow I was just interested and I paid thousands and thousands of dollars for all this equipment to get set up and um, my bosses thought I was totally crazy but uh, I got into some conference with uh, the, this demo I put together and then everybody got excited and I just was off to the races. Awesome. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I think my uh, experience goes back to uh, early days at AOL. I was working with a company out of France called Total Immersion, who I believe was one of the pioneers of VR. And we were trying to create immersion experiences for our clients using the technology. They had something called the Magic Mirror uh, that would allow people to see themselves in a different dimension uh, as they walked by a retail outlet, per se. And at that point in time, early 2000, that was kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, so that leads directly into my first question, which is let's quickly recap how we got to where we are in VR right now. You know, for me, it's been interesting because, again, you know, at AOL, we were testing, I think it was Medio and Layer were the two AR apps that had come out at the time, and that was right around 07, 08, so early, early iPhone. And then I believe Foursquare came out with uh, what was an AR app that could give you some tangential insights as you walk by a location. So we were all trying to figure out, you know, how is this going to play out? Uh, again, it was very early stages, um, and it's been fun to see it evolve from there today. I don't think any discussion of the history of VR is complete without thinking about the military. In particular, flight simulators have been doing VR for decades and decades. Uh, the sort of enclosed nature of a cockpit with a vehicle, and you can just project on the screens of, of a cockpit scenes. I think that's basically the first use of VR, and some of the most experienced VR people have, have been doing that for decades. You know, that brings up a good point, because uh, when I was at Harman uh, in 2012 through 14, uh, we were doing a lot of screen projection so that as you're driving, you're going to be able to actually see through your screen, but the data out of the car will be projected in front of you, and it was definitely from uh, the airline cockpit 
uh, type of early stages. Uh, when you go back to um, the movie that really nailed me with this whole concept was Natalie Wood's last movie, Brainstorm, and I think that was made in the early 80s. And, and you literally put this device on your head and I could see what you were seeing, I could taste what you were eating, and that to me was you know science fiction transformation to see it all kind of play out today is yeah now it's really real. cool yeah before we move on can you guys please explain what is the difference between vr and ar vr is transportational and ar is transformational vr totally obscures your vision it takes you from wherever you are into a totally new place so your vision is replaced by a vision of another location. Augmented reality allows you to still see the real world that you're in, and it adds to it and transforms it. So you know it can add text overlays, it can highlight things, um, it can create virtual objects that move around on tables. All right, so what are the applications of VR today? We've got gaming, data visualization, brand experiences, training, like medical training. Uh, I want to start with gaming. I know that the PlayStation VR is getting really big. I've seen some games coming out about it. I think the latest one is called Farpoint. It's a shooter. What else is going on in terms of gaming? In terms of new technology, I think Gaming is and always will be a proving ground because games can be shaped to conform to a new technology in a way that other kinds of applications can't. Uh, I saw this a lot when I was working at IBM on data visualization. When you're making a video game, you can always excuse limitations of technology as parts of the game. The most popular games I'm seeing right now are things like Job Simulator, and the bundled PlayStation VR game. One thing I've noticed is VR right now tends to be sort of humorous and social. It's very dictated by novelty of the medium. And access to various VR games is limited by access to VR platforms. There are only uh, a few million headsets out there. So I think the most popular games you can see are games that people play in groups. They're funny, and they highlight the nature of the medium. So who is playing these games? I am going to say, based on a study by Freefly VR, that it is mostly millennials. This is not like a thing where your grandma is picking up her cell phone and playing Angry Birds yet, right? That's an interesting thing about VR. Uh, I think your demographics are correct. If VR reaches its full potential, one of the best things about it is I think that grandma will be able to play VR. Uh, how she gets access to it and how she's introduced to it is a different question, but VR's power is that once it's fully realized, playing VR will be the same as doing things in real life. So do you think, you know, like we had Second Life, right? And it was trying to be a virtual place. Do you see the current technology being like the next generation of what they were attempting to become? Well, in fact, uh, there's already a third life in the works. Uh, the, some of the people behind Second Life have started working on a new product. I forgot what it's called, but I have some friends who, who work there. So yeah, it's, it's on its way, although uh, their technology has a bit of a ways to go. So what about training? I read an article about 
medical training, like surgeons are using VR or will be using VR to train how to do surgeries instead of using cadavers? Uh, what else is going on? I think one important distinction to make when we're talking about applications for VR is between simulation and spherical video. So simulation requires us to create 3D models and basically create a video game, whereas 360 video just requires us to record a video with 6 to 12 cameras, a sort of a super panorama. So 360-degree video has a lot of applications, although it doesn't allow you to move around spatially in the video. You can only rotate your head, but nonetheless, it gives you a lot of immersion. With that background, spherical video in VR allows you to go places that wouldn't normally be safe to go. You can have video of one event and then share that event with an infinite number of people. So I think people like surgeons, construction workers, or other people who need training for dangerous locations can definitely benefit from this kind of technology. Mm, yeah. yeah. It seems like two other uh, areas that, that would uh, dovetail into what you just said would be travel uh, and then even interviewing, because I know one of our clients is an outplacement firm, uh, and one of the things that they are investigating is using VR to almost realize a more intensive role-playing on interviewing. I think I know what you're talking about, because I actually work at that company, <laughs> and I work on that product. And to speak to travel, I know that for years, Google had a setup in their main lobby where they have a Google Street View with screens in a semicircle around where you're standing, and you can walk around and experience a place as if you're traveling there. And I used to do that at home all the time. So when I saw all these screens, I was like, oh my gosh, it's perfect for me. You know, the other day, um, I was in a hotel lobby. I was walking through the lobby. Uh, and I saw this little room, and it was sitting there, and it was just called the virtual experience. Well, hotels, and, listen uh, up. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think so. So then there's another use for VR that I had not thought about until I met you, Rustin, which is data visualization. Why would you want to visualize data in VR, and what would you use it for? So I can sum this up really simply. For one thing, 3D. When you're looking at highly dimensional data, like graph data, this data wants to be in 3D. Making it 2D is sort of cheapening it and, and tearing it down. For example, a simple mathematical fact is when you have a 2D graph, it's not always possible for the lines in that graph not to cross, uh, which makes the visualization messy. If that graph was in 3D, you could always avoid line crossing. So right away, putting the data in 3D can give you an immediate benefit. Another big benefit is having depth perception. We're used to seeing some 3D data representations, but we see those 3D data representations in 2D. And they've been specifically curated to be viewable in 2D. If you're just looking at them in 3D, you don't have to do all that work. You can just look at them in 3D and they'll make sense. Some data also just really wants to be 3D, like geospatial data, for instance. If you're talking about looking at a mountain, the only way to understand the shape of that mountain is to see it in 3D. 
Similarly, weather data is naturally 3D. You can see this if you look at a weather report and they're using that rainbow heat map visualization. They have to use a rainbow heat map because they can't represent that in 3D. Uh, really, that's representing different values on a 2D map. How far away are we from other dimensions, 4D, 5D? Is that within reach? I think if you're talking about time as a fourth dimension, that's a great immediate application. If you're talking about a fourth spatial dimension, I, I don't envision that being useful in the near future, although it's not impossible. We can visualize things in 3D in two dimensions, so perhaps we could visualize things in 4D in three dimensions much better. So Toby, how can companies harness AR, VR to tell a story as part of their narrative? I think that's a good question. You know, as we think about narrative coming from a PR firm perspective, it's been very word-driven. So getting the words right so that you create pattern language and projecting things out there that would provoke thought leadership, you know, more from a written context. And I see us moving beyond that into more of a spatial and or auditory or visual opportunity where narrative in the form of sound, like there's audio branding now that is starting to emerge out of Europe. And I don't see why we could not bring AR and VR into the fold as well. So if you are projecting uh, the corporate narrative out there, uh, I, you know, for instance, I'm making this up, but if you're Patagonia or REI, and you're uh, in the outdoors, why couldn't their narrative project itself on your phone as a reminder you know, to save the you know, forest or whatever the, uh, the ecology uh, message they want to put out there uh, so that it's in keeping with the brand and not in your face, but more of a subtle reminder. Mm. Um, so I, I could see it being projected in those kinds of contexts. Or what if you're a hotel with a VR experience in your lobby? Well, yeah, I mean, to me, the travel industry is ripe for this because they could uh, effectively lure you into some very cool experience that might be out of reach right now. You know, a That would 100% work on me. <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about all these cool things that VR and AR can do. We're thinking in the clouds, but let's bring it back to reality. What are the limitations of this technology, Rustin? Basically, convenience. VR and AR are still extremely inconvenient. I don't like to say this, but when it comes to setting up a virtual reality environment, it's still a pain in the neck, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about the Oculus or the HTC Vive. It's difficult to set these things up, and I think that's a deterrent to consumers allocating space for them in their homes and shelling out for them. Connected to that, we are starting to reach the limits of Moore's Law, and finally we're finding technological challenges that we would like to solve that right now we cannot. And this comes to batteries. We would like to have more powerful more efficient batteries to power unwired VR headsets. It's down to chips. Flash memory chips, for instance, can no longer be compacted smaller. They're already too small, so now they're moving into a three-dimensional structure in order to try to pack more information into a single chip. So tech has a way to go, actually, in order to make 
VR work the way we'd like it to, which is we would like to have an unwired headset that covers your entire field of view, weighs nothing, and has infinite battery power. We need better technology for that. So this will drive technology forward. Regarding your first point, if you look at the PlayStation VR website right now, at the bottom it says you'll need these to get started. It has the PlayStation, a controller, a sensor, and then you also need the headset. So yeah, there's a lot you need to invest in to get started. And the PlayStation, in fact, is probably the most accessible VR experience that's not mobile. What do you think about the, uh, the Samsung, you know, with the phone attached to their head unit? I think that the Gear VR, it's a lower quality experience than the heavy-duty full room setups, but it's still pretty good in, in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I think it's an important aspect, and I think as phones get more powerful and we have better solutions for tracking, these phone virtual reality experiences can become very competitive. It, it's sort of going to merge together because we're talking about a mobile headset that is not wired and weighs nothing. That sounds like a phone to me. In fact, uh, the HoloLens, which is one of the earliest attempts at really making this work uh, in the AR space, is a phone. If you look under the hood, the HoloLens is basically a souped-up Windows phone. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm just thinking even, you know, uh, with the stuff we were doing at Harman in the labs, uh, that was AR projection on screens. We talked to them a lot about the 360 element of if I'm driving past a restaurant or a mall or something, would you be able to project AR on the side windows so that as you turned your head, you would know that there was a sale going on at Nordstrom's uh, because you were geographically close enough to trigger some kind of event. Well, actually, that particular use case is one of the easier ones. Assuming we had the wireless HMD, being able to recognize a curated surface based on your geolocation is actually quite simple. We've been able to do that for decades because you could just define a surface if you have a flat surface with any kind of marker on it, cool. it can be recognized quite easily. I think yeah, one of the, the challenges was the driving thing, right? Where if you, there's a two second rule where you can't take your eyes off the road <laughs> for obvious reasons. So, you know, I think when the autonomous cars come into play, then that makes that reality closer. Oh, way more doable. I attended a conference and at one of their tracks, someone was saying that once we have autonomous cars, retail will come to you instead of you going to retail. Yes. It'll all be on your screen. You'll be able to order from your car windshield, things like that. Oh, it's Ashwin Raj. Yeah, you know, that brings up an interesting question about what's going to happen to brick and mortar. You know, will it go away? I mean, you're looking at the, the charts of uh, all the retailers, and it's a very down and to the right kind of phenomenon right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how close or far away we are to what you just said. Okay, so we're already talking about the future in a way. I want to ask, what do you guys think will be the reality in five years? And then I'm going to go way out there and say, what do you think the reality could be? Maybe I'd say 25 years, which is way out there. The good news is for me, I don't even know if I'll be here in 25 years, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to answer that one. <laughs> well, I'm always uh, curious about what drives the future, you know, the art that we view uh, and we replicate it, 
or the human vision and we project it and it becomes a reality. Because uh, I feel like, you know, growing up watching a lot of sci-fi and reading sci-fi books, William Gibson's and whatnot, uh, you know, are we living what we've read and viewed or are we making it and, you know, it's following, being followed up in, a, in another medium format? So in terms of the very near future, uh, I think this stuff will happen even before five years. I think that VR workstations will become a core tool of 3D modelers. They're going to have workstations where they can use to visualize and sculpt 3D models. I also think in the near future, probably in the next couple years, we're going to see on-site VR arcades at places like sports tournaments, movie premieres, other location-based events. They'll be more accessible than consumer software. I think when 3D data visualization in VR takes off, which might be more near the five-year mark, people will be able to send 3D visualizations of data as sort of reports to each other. So you, as a data scientist, will prepare a report on some data, and it just happens that the data is best represented in 3D, and you'll send a, a package with that data to your boss to, to look at and see your conclusions. In the 25-year the mark, wow, um, one of the interesting things about this technology is very few of the things that we are discussing are technologically infeasible in any way. These are all things that we can completely do just with technology that's a little bit better than what we have now. So it's really more of a question of culture what culturally are people going to want? And if people want a world where everyone wears augmented reality glasses and sees an overlay on top of the world, then that's completely something that can happen. We can all be connected 100% of the time. Ironically, it might make us even closer to the world around us instead of farther away if we go the augmented reality route. You know, I remember um, at Recode last year, uh, they interviewed Elon Musk and uh, he brought up this notion, you know, are we living in a game and are we just part of it uh, today? Uh, so he was kind of blurring the notion of reality versus uh, an augmented environment. I always find that question sort of meaningless. If what we live in <laughs> is a game, then it's so good that it is reality to us. Yeah, he had the audience uh, kind of stunned on that one. Hmm. I guess the real question is, if this is a game, is there some even more rich, even more incredible reality out there? Like, are atoms just some shitty poly uh, polygons? Is there some greater world, four-dimensional world, to your point? Maybe the third dimension is just a crummy video game that we're all living in. Yeah, I want to go, uh, there's got to be a book on that somewhere. <laughs> or someone's already writing it. So I was in Indonesia uh, a few months ago, and... I saw a booth for some virtual reality experience, and it said, 5D virtual reality experience. Wow, we're already moving the goalposts. Like, 3D isn't enough anymore. Even 4D is just like, whatever. We gotta go straight to 5D. 5D <laughs> experience. Oh Going to odd numbers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Exciting stuff. 
Hey listeners, tweet us at SparkPR with your questions and comments about what we've talked about today. What do you think the future of VR will be like? But also, what do you want it to be like? If you could have anything you wanted in VR, AR, what would it be? Uh, before we go, Rostin, how can we get a hold of you after this? You can find me on Twitter, at Rostin Murphy. It's a little hard to spell, at R-O-S-S. T-I-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And what about you, Toby? Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Tobin, T-O-B-I-N-W. All right. Well, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Walk out and see the bottom line rise. We do it right.